Well, I'm so excited. We are in the second week of our four-part series on the idea of neighboring. And Pastor Mark kicked this off uh, last Sunday. And I'm, I'm really excited about this series and the direction that it's taking us because of the potential impact that this can have in our, in our neighborhood, in our communities, in our own lives. I mean, um, to catch you up, Pastor Mark, uh, the, 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 Pastor Mark challenged us last week. Uh, the, the emphasis of this series is, is this. What if, what if when Jesus said, love your neighbors, he meant your literal, physical neighbors? Now, of course, Jesus made a big point that, that everyone is our neighbor. But included in that is the guy that lives right next door. Um, and it's, there is so much potential for goodness and love in our communities if we embrace that idea. And so that's why I'm so excited about this series. Uh, Pastor Mark challenged us in two ways. First, he said, would you be willing to learn the names of your eight closest neighbors and use them on a regular basis? So instead of, hey neighbor, it's, you know, hey Tony, hey Fred, hi Sarah. That's the first challenge, learn and use the names of your eight closest neighbors. The second challenge was, would you then begin to pray for your neighbors on a regular basis, asking God to show you what's next in terms of loving them and, 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 and caring for neighbors and being a good neighbor. And that's it. That's the whole challenge. And I'm so excited about it. Well, I'm, well, I'm really pumped about it because the idea behind this challenge is we wanted to take the bar and set it so low so that nobody could sneak under it. Like, that's, that, that's kind of the idea. We just, we just want you to learn your neighbor's names, begin to pray for them. Begin to ask God to show you, what does it look like to love my neighbors well? One of the things that Pastor Mark mentioned last Sunday is some potential obstacles some, to neighboring, some things that can hold us up. And he mentioned two of them, and we're going to talk about that in this series. The first thing he mentioned was time. You know, honestly, the fact that we're busy people, and I don't know about you, but when I get home in the evening, I am tired. And, you know, and, all, of, and all of that. And so we're going to talk, Pastor Mark's going to talk about the issue of time next week and just busyness and, 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 and how do we respond to that. But the second thing he mentioned was fear. And fear is sometimes an obstacle to neighboring because it can be an intimidating thing. Cross the street. I mean, they're just raking their leaves, minding their business. You know, and you say, hey, I know that we've lived across from each other for, in my case, 12 years, and we haven't met, you know, hey, that there's, there is some awkwardness there, and can, you know, that it, it can be intimidating. It can be intimidating. And so we want to talk about that. We want to talk about the issue of fear, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about it in the context of neighboring, but also we're just going to talk about the idea of fear in general. Because while fear can be a good thing, fear can be a good thing, right? I mean, fear keeps us from going down dark alleys at night. Fear keeps us from trying to take selfies with gorillas. That's a true news story that I heard about. Yep. Uh, so fear can serve a good purpose in our lives. But sometimes, sometimes our fears can be a little weird, right? For instance, have you, ever, have you ever met an adult who still won't step on a crack? 
I'm like, you never know. It's like, no, no, we know. The science is in. That's not how back trauma works. Your mom's going to be fine. Um, that's right. I needed to. Some of you guys didn't get the reference, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I have weird fears. I am. I'm a grown man. I'm a husband, a father of two. I have a mortgage. I pay taxes. I'm still a little bit afraid of the dark. I mean, just a little bit. It's like I know there's nothing in the kitchen, but I'm still going in there with a bat. <laughs> Let's be honest, it's a toilet plunger. I don't have a bat in my house. It's like, a, a stick, you know. it's like we all have weird fears. We all, you know, and, and fe fear is normal. But sometimes, and sometimes our fears are funny and weird and that kind of thing, but sometimes our fears are more serious. And sometimes, and this is why it's so important that we're talking about this, sometimes our fears can be paralyzing, right? Sometimes our fears shut down an area of our life. You ever met somebody that, that, that fear was like the key way that they approached relationships? That fear was like the, the driver behind how they made decisions? How they raised their kids? That's no fun for anybody, right? Fear can really be a showstopper. And even bigger than that, fear can be a hindrance to what God wants to do with our lives. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, and when we actually talked about this in the men's Bible study uh, this past week. If you're, if you're not coming out to that study, you should come out. It's a great time. We're having a good time going through Ephesians. But one of my favorite passages is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And this is an idea that I am trying to, um, I don't know what the right phrase is, but I'm, I'm trying to drill into the heads and the hearts of my children. That I want them to understand that this is such a big deal. Ephesians 2.10 says, for, and I love it, for we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship, God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I want my kids to know that God wants to use your life for good things. And God has laid it out. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. And your responsibility is to walk in it is to start going in that direction. And that's a big idea. It's a big idea for all of us, that your life matters, that God has a purpose for you. But if we let fear sit in the driver's seat, that really can keep us from stepping into those things that God might have for us, might have laid out in front of us. And it's, it's, it is a big deal. And so we're going to talk about it because the scriptures have actually quite a bit to say on the topic of fear. And fear doesn't have to be in the driver's seat in your life and mine. That's true. Fear doesn't have to rule your relationships. Fear doesn't have to rule your future. And fear, again, fear is a good thing. It can be a good thing, but um, a healthy amount of fear is, is fine. Um, but when we let it when we let it drive, it's trouble. And so there's an account in the Hebrew scriptures in, uh, in, in the book of Kings that, that we're going to look at that I think speaks in a beautiful way to the idea of fear. But first, I need to set this up for you. So at this point 
in Israel's history, the nation of Israel is at war with Syria. And it is not going well for Syria. Because what happens is, every time the Syrian king gets with his advisors and they come up with a strategy, they come up with a plan, and they implement it, they lose. And it's almost as if Israel knew ahead of time what they were going to do. So much so that the king, the Syrian king, he thought he had a traitor in his group. He thought he had a mole. He thought someone was leaking information to the Israelites. And so he, so he, he was all for it. I'm going to find out who this person is. And his advisor stopped and said, no, 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 king. That's not what's happening here. You don't have a mole. There's no leak. Well, there is a leak, but it's none of us. Here's what's happening. Every time you come up with a plan, every time we plan something out, God tells our plans to a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha goes and tells the king of Israel. And they're ready for us. That's what's been happening. That's why we can't, that's why we can't make any headway in this battle. God is leaking our stuff. And so the Syrian king is not happy. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find this guy. I want you to, Elisha, I want you to figure out where he lives. I want you to send the military, and I want you to end this. Like, I want, like, this is over. And so that's what they do. The Syrians, they begin to investigate, and they find out where Elisha lives. It's in a town, I think it's called Dothan. And they head there, and they surround the city. And this is where we're going to pick up. So if you want to grab your Bibles, turn... Turn to 2 Kings, chapter 6. And I, this, is, this is such a good, it's such a good story, and it has some funny bits that I really enjoy. So the Syrians have surrounded the city. Let's pick up in verse 15. This is 2 Kings, chapter 6, verse, for, uh, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So this guy goes out to get the paper. He's got his cup of coffee. And you can, I mean, can you just imagine? He comes out, he looks, and what does he see? Soldiers everywhere, all around. And he is understandably, freaked out. Goes back inside. And he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What are we going to do? We are stuck. Do, is, is there a way out of the city? I don't, how, what are we going to do here? In verse 16, And Elijah says to him, he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I got to think, I mean, the text doesn't say this, but I got to think if I'm Elisha's servant, what are you thinking in this moment? Like, I'm looking under the rug, I'm looking behind, you know, outside, is there, do you, is there a shack that I'm not aware of where these soldiers are, camp like, what, what are you talking, maybe he's thinking, 
Okay, Elisha's finally lost it. I don't know, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't, I don't know what he's thinking. I just know what I would be thinking if I were in that moment. And I'd be like, what are you talking? I mean, where are they? I would love, you know, this kind of deal. And so let's continue. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And I don't think he was afraid anymore. Verse 18, and when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And I think that might be the funniest part of the whole, of the whole story. I mean, there's this, I just, it reminds me of a, you know, this is not the droids you're looking for kind of moment. But, you know, they can't see, and Elisha says, no, no, you're in the wrong town. Here, I'll take you to the right town. And he leads them out of town and somewhere else. And the story continues. And we kind of see some resolution, and it's a fascinating story. You should take some time to read it. That's what we're going to look. That's that, that's as much as we're going to read for this morning. But I want us to just think about something in this story. I want us to think about a big idea that has the potential, I think, to really change the way that we to help deal to help speak to the idea of fear in our lives, and it's this. There were two guys that were in the same situation, same circumstances, and one of them was terrified, and the other was confident. And what was the difference? It's only one thing, really. It was information. Elisha knew something that his servant didn't. What did he know? He knew that God was with him, and he knew that God was working. And that was the essence of his prayer. God, would you open his eyes so that he can see? And once his servant opened his eyes, the text doesn't say this, but i got to believe once he opened his eyes and saw the armies of God all around him, how could he be afraid anymore? Because now he knew what Elisha knew. There was no reason to be afraid. God was with us, and maybe even a bigger idea, God was at work. I wonder if for us, when we think of, we're going to talk about neighboring in a minute, but for us, I wonder if we think about the things, the areas in our life where we're afraid, would it make a difference what kind of difference would it make to have confidence that God was with you and that God was at work in you and in your circumstances? It's a big idea. Near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, after he had come to earth to show us what God was like, after he had suffered and died on the cross to pay for the sins of humanity, after he had risen from the dead in power to vindicate everything that he said, 
and everything that he did. He spent a little bit of time with his guys, with his disciples, teaching them. And right before he left, he gave them some instructions. And I want to read those. We call those the Great Commission. And it's in the Gospel of Matthew. The words that's going to come up on the screen. But it's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And this is what Jesus says to, the, to, says to them as he's leaving. He says, now, now, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now, this is just an aside, but isn't it encouraging? I, I'm so grateful that, that, little, that just that little bit of information is in there, that even Jesus' closest followers wrestled with doubt. They didn't have it all figured out. They didn't have all their questions answered. Their faith wasn't perfect. And so maybe that's hopeful for you and for me because you, you can follow Jesus and still wrestle with doubts. Jesus invites us into that. I just think that's good news. I'm so grateful that the text says that. Um, just, that's, I don't know about you, that's hopeful for me. So, verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, Jesus makes this point. I just want you to know that in every situation, in every circumstance, I am in charge. I am calling the shots. I have all the authority. So in other words, what I'm about to tell you, I have every right to tell you. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus instructs his followers, listen, I'm leaving, but I'm entrusting you with something. I want you to go. And as you live your life, everywhere that you find yourself, I want you to help men and women know that I love them. I want to use you to help introduce people to me. I want you to help people know me and follow me. Go, make disciples of all nations, Go take this, take this message everywhere and let people know that there is a God in heaven who loves them and who has invited them to address him as father. That's amazing. I think, I don't know about you, but what, one of the things that is most amazing to me about that is the idea that the God of the universe, the God who is sovereign over everything. The God who doesn't need a thing, who can do it all himself, he invites us to participate in what he's doing. That is incredible. That God invites you and me to be a part of the big things that he is doing in the world and in the lives of people. It is such a gift. We get invited into it, but it can be scary. It can be intimidating. 
But did you catch the last thing Jesus said? The very last, he gave them these instructions. He said, go make disciples. And then the last thing he said was, and behold, hey, remember, hey, look up here. Don't forget, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This idea of going is at the heart of neighboring. At the very heart of neighboring is the idea that God has placed us where we are in our communities. He has placed us there because he wants to use us to make a difference. And that can be scary. And that can be intimidating. But the good news is you don't go alone because God is with you. And God is working. And that's great news. God is at work in your communities. God is at work in your neighborhoods. God is at work, like in that one house that intimidates you, that it's like, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I want, you know, I mean, are those people, are they even going to like me? You know, it's like, God is at work in those places. And so you can step in. And you can, you can, you can demonstrate kindness and compassion and love, and mercy, and generosity, and the good news of Jesus. Because you can know that God is going, he's, he's already there. He is with you, and he is working. And that should give us courage. Isn't that good news? I think it's great news. As a church, uh, we've been, uh, the, the elders, and pastors, and staff, have been uh, living with and wrestling with and thinking about this idea of neighboring for the last several months. Pastor Mark talked about that last week. We, we all read the book, The Art of Neighboring. That's a great book. It's, I think there's still a couple of copies out in the foyer if you, if you haven't picked one up. Uh, if there are not, you can just grab them on Amazon. Um, but reading the book and talking about these things and, and, and really um, working to live this idea out personally in our own lives. And uh, last week, Pastor Allen and Carol Lee talked about a little bit, they shared a little bit about what that's looking like in their own lives, and next week, Mary and I are going to share a little bit about what that's looking like. We're going to get to hear from Mark and Nancy, it's going to be cool, but, but today, I'm so excited, we've got uh, Brian and Carol McNamara. Uh, Brian uh, serves as one of our elders here at Knollwood, and um, Carol serves, I don't know, everywhere else, she's amazing. Um, and so they're going to come, and they're going to just take a few moments to talk to us about what neighboring has been looking like for them. So would you welcome Brian and Carol? Good morning. Good morning. As Chris said, you know, last week, Pastor Allen and Carol Lee shared their story. I'm going to call it the pastor's tale. I'd like to share uh, the title this week's installment, The Introvert's Tale. <laughs> Carol and I are introverts and prefer more intimate get-togethers instead of large throngs, throngs of people at a party. This has shaped our lives immensely. Last January, we moved for, to eastern Loudoun County from here in Burke Center, where our family of four lived for 21 years at the end of a cul-de-sac. Getting to know our neighbors on... Wolcott Drive was greatly enhanced because our two boys grew up and went to school with our neighbor's kids. When the boys were younger, we'd be outside with them as they were playing and would talk with the parents of the boys' friends. 
We did simple things like set up a carpool to take the kids to school and pick them up afterwards, or arrange to pick up the mail while one of the other fam or another family was out of town. Out of these simple discussions, it grew into something larger. We started having court parties, like Easter egg hunts, Halloween potlucks before trick-or-treating, barbecues and fireworks on the court, back-to-school picnics, and later Super Bowl parties and New Year's Eve parties. When I say we did all these things, it was the cul-de-sac cul cul collectively that did them. We hosted some and went to others at other uh, neighbors' houses. After we moved last year, we realized that we truly enjoyed the neighbor interaction and missed not having it. So let me turn it over to Carol for the rest of the story. Good morning. As Brian mentioned, uh, he and I are both introverts, and we really do prefer small gatherings um, instead of large crowds. So it's challenging for us to even, or at least for me, to even be up here this morning talking to everybody, but that's really how passionate we are about loving on our neighbors. Um, it was difficult to leave our close-knit cul-de-sac in Burke. We had many dear friends on Walcott Drive, and personally, it was devastating uh, to leave all that behind. I was convinced that we would never experience anything like that again, that sense of community. Um, but while our old neighborhood was unique, I am happy to report, um, in spite of uh, my weak faith, God has richly blessed us in our new community, and it has um, we have wonderful neighbors, and we are growing friendships there, too. One of our initial projects at our new home was to add some landscaping, and so we selected a little blue spruce tree for our front yard, and I think it was one of the new neighbors who mentioned in passing that it would make a great Christmas tree all decorated, and so the idea for a tree lighting party was born. Uh, I don't know if we have a, a picture that we can, there it is. Um, I could already envision in my mind when we first talked about it last spring, you know, the Christmas carols that we'd be playing, and I'd bake a ton of cookies, and we'd all gather around the tree and watch it light up. So I created flyers, and I delivered them to all of the mailboxes on our street. Some of the people we had already met, um, but others we never had met. I did not go knocking on each door like Carolee did when she talked about that last week, because remember, introvert here. Um, but I listed my cell number on the flyers, and I prayed like crazy that the neighbors would come. And they did come. We had 22 people at the first annual Barnsley Place tree lighting ceremony. It was held right after Thanksgiving, and some neighbors had even asked if they could bring extended family to our event that we're visiting. So we met some of our neighbors' moms and in-laws. Um, our, <clears throat> our youngest neighbor, Nick, and I, we have a picture of him too. Isn't he adorable? Nick is too. He was our official tree lighter, um, and his mom was so excited that he was going to be up on the big screen today. Um, <laughs> um, we all counted him down so he could press the button to turn on the lights for the tree. And we received such positive feedback from our party that we plan to make this a tradition for sure. Two things um, that we wanted you to take away from our experience. One of those is be intentional. You don't have to organize a big block party to love on your neighbors, although that is a ton of fun. Um, just make the time to say hello. Be willing to be interrupted if you're working on a project in your garage or you're out in the yard. Take the time to chat when you bring in the mail or you're walking your dog. And the second one, and I get bonus points for tying into Chris's talk today, don't be afraid. Um, it can be intimidating to be the one to reach out. Trust me, we know. <laughs> um, but if these two, these two introverts standing before you are a great example uh, of how God can use anybody to bring a community together. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? And Carol, you get 50 bonus points. They'll be, they'll be transferred over.
when I was in youth ministry years ago, we, would, we had a thing where we would tell kids that if they did something good, they got a personal point, which was completely meaningless and wasn't anything, but people got into it, so I just thought that was funny. Um, you know, I, I'm so glad that Brian and Carol were willing to share. I'm so glad that Carol Lee and Alan shared last week. The point of those stories is not to get you to do those things. Like, we're not trying to get you to have a Christmas tree lighting party. But what we are trying to do is cast a vision that, that for each of us to ask the question, what does neighboring look like for me? With my gifts and my talents, my personality, you know, the way I'm wired, uh, you know, uh, uh, what does it look like for me to love my neighbors well? What could that mean? And I don't know the answer to that. But that's one of the reasons why we're asking people to pray. Is because we believe that as you begin to seek God in prayer, God will do something on the inside of you, and God will begin to open those kinds of doors and make those things clear and obvious. Does that make sense? And it is intimidating. And it can be scary. But don't worry. God is with you. And God is working. So would you be willing to learn the names of your eight closest neighbors and use them? And would you be willing to begin to pray for your neighbors and pray for them and ask God the question, God, what does it look like for me to love my neighbors well? Give me the courage to take whatever that next step is. And I think if we do that, can you imagine what could happen if just the, the neighborhoods represented in this room, if neighboring well became central, became a thing? How many lives could be changed for the better? It could be amazing. So what do you say? Everybody, no, I'm just kidding. Everybody signed. No, I'm just, let's, 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 what if we all just decided, man, we're going to go for this thing. I hope you do. Let's pray. God, you are so good. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you're with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you're working. And would you help us to be people who, who refuse to live in fear, even though in this life there are legitimate things to be afraid of. Help us to not be fearful people. Because you're present with us. And you're at work in us for good. And so would you use us in our communities to make a difference for your kingdom. I pray that each one of us would take up the challenge to learn the names of our eight closest neighbors and use them. And pray for them, asking you to show us what's next. And as we do that, God, would you use us to make a difference? Thank you. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray.